Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh, producer here at Realm. A new episode of Ominous Thrill is ready for your ears. It's Advice After Dark. Late night radio host Belladonna delivers extreme advice to the delighted horror of her audience until a creepy listener forces her to confront the brutal consequences of her show. Here's a preview. Welcome to my live stream, Bella. Say hello to everyone. What do you want? Click the link. Watch along. I'm not clicking links from psychos. You put that trash on the radio every night and I'm the psycho. You sound like you need help. I'm not one of your fake callers. My show is very, very real. Do you want to know what it's called? No, I don't. It's called Belladonna Gets What's Coming. Starring you. What? It's really starring me. But it's all about you. And you'd be surprised how many people want to watch you get what's coming. I called the police. They'll be here any minute. Yeah, well, we should be done before they get here. Find Ominous Thrill out now, everywhere you listen. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Hello, junkies! I've got some updates for you in the world of Siglerism this week. We are still recording The Stone Wolves audiobook. The Stone Wolves, of course, is a GFL novel. Uh, I'm supposed to call it a novella, but it's 145,000 words. So it's another novel. It'll be your second GFL novel of 2021. Some of the voices in this audiobook for the character voices I chose, they are just murder on my throat. And we have found we can't do our normal eight-hour recording sessions uh, more like two, two and a half hours per session. So it is taking us a little bit longer to get it done. We have no release date for it yet. Since it is a GFL book and I am doing the narration, this final read-through by me operates as kind of our final proofread. It goes to it goes to continuity editors, it goes to proofreaders, then it comes back, I get to read through it and just make sure everything is just, just so, and we haven't missed anything. And then as soon as I'm done recording the audiobook, all the little corrections we made while recording the audiobook are in the final manuscript. That goes to ebook production, while the audiobook files go to the iceberg for audiobook production. So again, we don't have a release date for the Stone Wolves, but it will be out in 2021. Uh, speaking of release dates, here we go. While we don't have a specific date yet, we are looking at Q2 2021 for shipping the gangster hardcover. That date is right around the corner, which means you still have a little bit of time to get your order in at scottsigler.com slash the gangster. One word, pre-order your copy or copies of the gangster. Remember, this is a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover. And when they are gone, they are gone for good. Grab one while you still can. And the Gangster audiobook is closing in on 150 ratings over at audible.com. If you have snagged the Gangster over at Audible, please do leave a rating and a review. Those things help us. And while you're at Audible, review all of the GFL books. We're trying to get the rookie up over a thousand reviews because that would be pretty dope. That is all of the news for this week. Here comes the Gangster episode number 13. It's a little shorter, just over 20 minutes of story. But that is the nature of the beast when we stop at the end of chapters. Some episodes are a little longer, some are a little shorter. Let's get you caught up on the story, and then we're going to go eat some Girl Scout cookies. 
previously on The Gangster. Frederico Esteban Gisipe Gonzaga, a.k.a. Fred, has made a deal with a certain Blackford gangster to find the culprits behind the touchback bombing. What has Fred found? And, Quentin and Becca just tied the knot, but their big day isn't over yet. Quentin needs to have a heart-to-heart with a former member of the Zoroastrian Guild. The Wedding The afternoon sun blazed down, heat mitigated by a light breeze that sent fluffy parachutes of dandelion seeds spinning in a vortex against a 20-meter-tall glass wall, scattered them in swirling patterns across flagstone tiles. Quentin stood just left of a granite base that supported an ancient 4-meter-tall bronze statue of a man wearing thick glasses, a long coat, and a fedora. The man had been one of Hokor's coaching idols. Having the wedding here was for Becca, but being at the base of the statue, it felt like Hokor was there. John and Jew stood to Quentin's left, dressed in tailored suits. His brothers were with him for one of the biggest days of his life. They both wore their official championship rings from 2685 and the newly arrived rings from the 2686 title. The whole team had received their 86 rings. Quentin wasn't wearing his. Not yet, anyway. He desperately wanted to wear the ring with Hokor's bluestone, but Quentin had taken Frost's words to heart. He'd shown it to no one but Becca. Not even Shoto knew of it. In front of the statue's base stood George Starcher. His black robes fluttered in the wind. Thankfully, this time, Crazy George wore no face paint. On the statue's right side, the bride side, stood Chodo and Kraken's receiver Tara the Freak, championship rings gleaming in the sun, sequin green sashes hanging from their right shoulders down to their left hips. The sashes were the warrior equivalent of formal wear, Quentin had been told. An interesting look, considering they both wore their usual gray sweatpants. Chodo was doing double duty. He was in the wedding party, but he was also there to protect both bride and groom. Fred had used a fake identity and Quentin's money to rent the entire stadium for the day. Yes, but after Randall Hospital, Quentin would never be sure that any public place was safe. Tara held a message board. He was doing double duty as well. A friend of the bride, but also making sure George Starcher stayed on script. On the flagstone plaza in front of the statue, five wedding guests sitting in white folding chairs. Ma Tweedy, wearing a dress of orange and black. Quentin's sister, Janine, wearing slacks and a button-down blouse. Not formal, exactly, but a step up from her usual casual attire. Becca's mother, wearing a green dress and holding a bouquet of daffodils Quentin had brought her. A heavy G woman, Becca's mother was much larger than Janine, but significantly smaller than Becca. The chair next to Becca's mother was empty, reserved for her husband. And the final guest, sitting on an oversized chair that fit his massive dimensions, Michael Kimberlin, Tudor, starship pilot, offensive left guard for the INF Krakens, former operative of the Zoroastrian Guild. Was it smart to trust him? Quentin still wasn't sure. He'd find out soon enough. Q, John said. Is this show going to get on the road or what? 
I got sweat running down my butt crack. Earth is always so dang humid. Mega humid, Jew said. I sweated through my undies already. Super mega humid, John said. I got swamp crotch. Becca's mother's eyes widened at the crass talk. Ma Tweedy growled through clenched teeth. Jonathan? Julius? Shush it! Sorry, Ma. Quentin was in no hurry. He wanted to savor every moment of this day. He turned in place, soaking it all up, absorbing every detail of the stadium. Lambeau Field, a seven-century-old temple to American football. At just 17 years old, the Rekka had begun her career here with the Tier 3 Green Bay Packers. John leaned closer to Quentin. John's whisper was far louder than he probably thought it was. I'm real happy for you guys. Becca loves the spit out of you. Anyone can see it. I mean, if you don't see it, you'd have to be a couple of bricks shy of a six-pack. I see it, John. That's why we're, you know, Quentin gestured to the guests, to the wedding party. Getting married? John's forehead wrinkled, as it did when he was in deep thought. Yeah, he said. I guess that makes sense. John looked around at the statue, at the glass wall, and, through it, at the sprawling, empty stand surrounding the white-lined, green football field. Hell of a place to get hitched, bro. I guess that old wag about this being the frozen tundra is bunk. Jew huffed. Mega bunk. Must be some marketing thing. It's summer, Quentin said. Has living in a dome city made you guys forget about seasons? John dismissed the thought with a wave. Seasons are junk science, he said. Everyone knows that. Hey, George, are there going to be tentacles and stuff in this ceremony? George gave a sidelong glance. Why would there be tentacles? Old ones and such, Jew said. He held up his hand and wiggled his fingers in a woo-woo gesture. All that jibber-jab you spout all the time. Ain't that your religion? Quentin looked to the high glass wall, to the doors at the wall's base. He hoped Becca would come through soon. The longer John and Jew had to stand here, the more their limited attention spans would spin them out of control. Yeah, Georgie's wacky religion, John said. You should write a book about it, Georgie. Call it, uh, like, Tentacles, Tentacles, and More Tentacles, or something like that. Jew nodded vigorously. Super mega, mecha tentacles. Guys, cut it out, Quentin said. George isn't going to talk about tentacles. Quentin looked at the man. Uh, are you? George looked to the sky and raised his arm dramatically. Quentin cringed inside. When considering the opaque firmament, George said, one must... Tara the freak put his outsized pedipalp hand on George's arm, cutting off the tight end's rant before it truly began. George will not discuss tentacles, Tara said, his baseball-sized eye glaring at the man. Because George and I talked about this during the entire trip here from Ioneth. Did we not, George? George sighed, lowered his arm. Yes, we talked about it. No old ones. Tara's eye swirled with a thin curl of black. No old ones, he said. And? George hung his head. And no tentacles. Tara handed George the message board. We go by the playbook, the warrior said. Exactly by the playbook, with no variations, right? George sighed again. He took the message board. By the playbook, he said. Quentin wondered if it was too late to elope. 
George's religion was obscure and strange, but it turned out he was actually a certified priest of a faith recognized by both the Planetary Union and the Quith Concordia. That meant George could perform a marriage that was legally binding in both places. And having George do it kept things in the family, so to speak. No outsiders who might spill the beans and either intentionally or accidentally put the wedding on the radar of the media or whoever was trying to kill Quentin. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story. Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. The poster boy of the GFL and his Galaxy Bowl MVP bride could have had the ceremony of the century. They could have been the focus of every sports reporting organization in the galaxy. Sports and beyond. For Quentin knew full well, his fame had stretched far past the confines of his chosen sport. He'd become a cultural icon, the focal point of an entire religion. Yes, This ceremony could have easily been a massive event, on par with marriages of movie stars, even royalty. But that wasn't what he wanted. Neither did his bride. A quiet ceremony, somewhere discreet, somewhere hidden, would have been fine, but Becca deserved more than that. She deserved something that honored her roots, her career, that paid proper respect to how hard she had worked, how far she had come. If this ceremony had been open to the public, 
Quentin imagined the stadium would be filled. She was a native of this region, a favored daughter that had quarterbacked the Packers to an NFL title. He again looked up at the statue, feeling Hokor's intangible presence. The statue was of Vince Lombardi, one of the first philosophers of primitive football's early days. The man had attained immortality by winning the first two Super Bowls, back when that modest game marked the pinnacle of football achievement. Lombardi's ancient writings define many elements of gridiron and, through gridiron, existence itself. Quentin's favorite bit of philosophy came from that man. The quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to their commitment to excellence, regardless of their chosen field of endeavor. It is time, George said, his deep voice cutting through the light wind. Here comes the bride. Through the glass doors came two people, a large, long-armed, heavy G-man wearing a dark suit and a woman wearing a white dress. Barrett Montaigne and his daughter, Rebecca. Perhaps Becca was a touch smarter than Quentin. While he wore a suit that soaked up the sun's heat, her sleeveless white gown left her muscular arms and powerful shoulders exposed. The breeze lifted her heavy, long black hair behind her. She looked like a warrior goddess. She looked like a Valkyrie. Behind them walked Frederico Esteban Casipi Gonzaga. While Chota watched over Quentin, Fred had stayed close to Becca. No costume for Fred this time out, no crazy affectation, no deep cover character. The man wore an immaculate pinstripe suit. He'd shaved. His hair was perfect. Fred was giving this ceremony the respect it deserved, an act that touched Quentin's heart. Becca's father escorted her past the folding chairs. Two mothers looked up lovingly. A sister beamed with delight. Big Mike smiled wide. Fred stayed back behind the chairs, his gaze slowly sweeping left and right. Becca and her father stopped a few feet in front of George Starcher. George hesitated, then read from the message board. Welcome one and all. Who represents this woman's interests in this ceremony? That is I, Barrett said, his deep voice ringing of pride. He kissed Becca's cheek, tears in the eyes of father and daughter alike. He took her left hand, kissed it, then turned to face Quentin. I'm proud of both of you, Barrett said. He lightly lifted Becca's hand, offered it to his soon-to-be son-in-law. Becca's smile was everything. Her eyes were the universe. She shone like a star. That this woman wanted to be his, and she wanted him to be hers, a moment as great as any victory, as grand as any championship. Quentin took her hand. Barrett sat down next to his wife. The couple beamed with pride, and also, perhaps, with sadness, that another phase of life had moved their daughter further away from the little girl she had once been. Quentin squeezed her hand. You ready, B? Her smile widened. Just give me the ball, coach. They turned, stood shoulder to shoulder, and faced George. The black-robed tight end smiled nervously at the betrothed, at Becca's parents, at Janine, at Kimberlin. George read from the message board. 
We are gathered here today. He paused, looked up. He fidgeted for a moment, shifting his weight. Awkward silence. Was he about to go off the rails? Quentin leaned in to ask him if he was all right, but before he could speak, George lowered the message board. He smiled again, and this time, there was nothing nervous about it. We are gathered here today to witness the matrimony of two friends, George said. Two teammates. As if in response to his new confidence, the wind picked up, scattering more dandelion seeds, a thin blizzard of fluffy white. George's voice didn't fight against the wind. It seemed to merge with it, swell with it. Every union between two sentients must endure trials. Has any bond been tested the way that Becca and Quentin's has? They have battled together, side by side, on the fields of glory. They have traveled the stars together. They have faced danger together, even faced death together. Through it all, their love began, flourished, and grew as strong as the pillars of existence themselves. George spoke with subtle power, with absolute conviction and elegance. Quentin had never seen this side of the man. You two who would join, George said, turn and face each other. The bride and groom did as they were told. Quentin took in all he could about this amazing woman, his eyes hungry to see everything she was, to burn this moment into his brain so that he could carry it with him, unchanged, until his final days. Becca beamed. Quentin had never seen her so happy. The wind tossed her hair behind her as if the weather itself were a willing part of the ceremony. Bits of fluffy white lodged in her thick black strands, like frozen supernovas trapped in the void's infinite darkness. Rings, please, George said. John reached into his jacket pocket. Quentin saw the man was crying, tears lining his cheeks. You guys are really great, John said. Then he sniffed back snot. Super mega awesome extra double plus great scrolled across his forehead. John held out his hand. In his palm, a pair of heavy rings, orange stones blazing. Their official championship rings from Galaxy Bowl 28. Quentin and Becca had won that title together and had decided they couldn't find a more perfect symbol for their union. Quentin took Becca's ring. She took his. Rebecca Montaigne, George said. Please place the ring on Quentin's finger and say your vows. Becca took a slow breath. Quentin saw her gather herself, not unlike what she did before a game, before a play. Quentin, I promise to be your friend your partner, and your teammate, until the day I die. She slid the ring on his finger. And, if it is possible, even beyond death itself. They had written their own vows. In typical fashion, with but a handful of words, Becca easily communicated the depth of her emotions. Quentin Barnes, George said. Please place the ring on Rebecca's finger and say your vows. Quentin had spent many hours working on what to say. He had tried to be eloquent, only to find that eloquence eluded him. His heart kicked. He did not want to screw this up. 
Quentin slid the ring on her finger. Together, we became champions, he said. I felt all my dreams had come true. Now I know they had not, that there was still something missing from my life, because this marriage is the title that matters more to me than any other. The true prize is you, Becca. The real championship is us. Tears rolled from the corners of her eyes. Her smile didn't fade. Quentin felt a lump in his throat, but he wasn't finished. As with all things that mattered in his life, he had practiced and he would carry this ball across the goal line. I promise to be by your side as we go through life. I promise to be good to you, to support you, and to rely on your support. You are my teammate in life, and team comes first. Becca silently cried. John, not so much. Quentin heard the linebacker's loud sobs. George read from his message board. And now, in the presence of these witnesses, I, George Starcher, ordained minister of the old ones and the old ways, do hereby declare Quentin Barnes and Rebecca Montaigne to be husband and wife, their union recognized by the laws of both the Planetary Union and the Quith Concordia. May you love each other until the stars burn out and the universe fades to blackness. George smiled at Becca. You may kiss your groom. She stepped forward, stood on her tiptoes, and kissed Quentin. He melted into it, slid his arms around her waist. He lifted her, hugged her, held her. She broke the kiss, caressed the back of his head, whispered in his ear, I love you, Quentin Barnes. His own words came out as a cracked croak. I love you, Becca Montaigne. Purist tradition dictated she should take his last name, but neither of them wanted that. Becca was her own person and would always be so. He lowered her. Her feet had barely hit the ground when something slammed into his back. Shucking beautiful, John screamed, wiping away tears. I love you guys. Jew leaned in, grabbed Quentin's shoulders, shook him. Good job, bro, Jew said. That was sham blazing. Quentin glanced at Chodo, who stared straight ahead, pretending to scan the perimeter for threats. Super mega awesome mega mega sham blazing, John said. A smiling Janine ran up, hugged Quentin and Becca both. Ma Tweedy cried. Becca's mother cried. Barrett sat there grinning like a fool. Big Mike smiled and nodded. Wonderful, Janine said. George, you did great. George bowed. The voice was not my own, ma'am. It was me channeling the elder essence of the bottomless void. He means thank you, Tara said. Just a nice, normal thank you. Right, George? George sighed. Yes, thank you, Janine. With a smile a mile wide, Fred walked up, his right hand held high, palm out. Yay, sports people, he said. When someone does good in the sports, you slap hands, yes? A high five for you, Becca. She slapped his offered palm. And a high four for you, Barnes. Quentin laughed at the joke, shook his head, and slapped the man's palm. Thank you, Fred, Quentin said. But I don't know if this counts as sports. Fred rolled his eyes, gestured to the field, the stadium, the statue. Sure, Q. This isn't about sports at all. You kids have fun? I have to head out and take care of some business. 
the business, was finding and hiring Marcus Diablo. But Quentin wasn't really listening anymore. He stared into the eyes of his bride, wondering how he'd wound up lucky enough to marry her. Becca again kissed Quentin. She pulled him close. I have been looking for you my whole life. They were together now. They would be together until the end. And, if possible, beyond. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.